Excellence is an art won by training and habituation. We do not act rightly because we have virtue or excellence, but we rather have these because we have acted rightly. These virtues are formed in man by his doing the actions. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act but a habit. The good of man is a working of the soul in the way of excellence, in a complete life. For as it is not one swallow or one fine day that makes a spring, so it is not one day or a short time that makes a man blessed and happy. So that's a quote from Will Durant's 1926 book, The Story of Philosophy, when he was writing about Aristotle. And I'm John Fanning, and this is the Create with John Fanning podcast. How's it going out there? I hope you're all doing well and that the coronavirus is allowing you to somehow find inspiration and delve into your imagination through the isolation, which is very much a part of creating and the creative process. So, you know, transform it into a positive thing. As I've been trying to do myself. And so this is episode 10 of my series of episodes on imagination and creativity. And based around my book, uh, Create. Well, tentatively titled Create. Last time I talked about genius, talent and originality. But today I want to talk about perfection. And which is another wall away from imagination and creativity. Uh, first, there's first there's this idea or the idea that everything comes out perfectly. Well, that's just crap, basically. Um, I've never written a chapter I didn't have to change. And maybe that's just me and every writer I've ever known. And maybe there's a writer out there who's written a whole chapter without changing a comma. But I very much doubt it. But there's always the exceptions to every rule. <laughs> also... Do you think Frank Gehry's buildings always go up the way he first designs them? Or, for example, George Lucas, did he use the first cut of Star Wars? Or how many times did it take Elon Musk and his team to test his Tesla cars before they went on the road? And even then, was that the end of it? Did they have to take things back? Did they have to redesign the car, redesign the building, redesign uh, a scene? Was, for example, every Shakespeare play finished when it was finished? Was it was it perfect? Or even look at the uh, iPhone. Every year there's a new one. Every, well, nearly every year I think it is. Um... So, and then second, there's the idea that every great work is perfect. Well, what about all the time Shakespeare performed his plays in the provinces, out in the outback, uh, not in London itself, before showing them to the king and the queen at court? Do you think he didn't change a line here, a scene or a character there, when the audience in the pit started booing or shouting at the actors on the stage or flinging rotten fruit or eggs at him? Of course he did. 
he changed loads of things and he changed things based on his feedback. Another example would be somebody like Leonardo da Vinci who consistently changed his stuff. Um, a, a perfect example would be uh, da Vinci's painting of Saint Anne. Would da Vinci have called his Saint Anne perfect? Because he worked on it until his death. That is over 20 years, consistently changing it. Um, so the idea that something is perfect when it's this thing that we've seen in its finished, i.e. Um, finished form that we think it's finished. But maybe maybe it was just Da Vinci giving up uh, or just letting go or just that he died and he couldn't do any, didn't change it anymore. So also like Shakespeare, when he was creating, he had to bear in mind two audiences, the gallery seats, which was this kind of educated audience who appreciated character and development and subtlety. And then there was the people in the pit who wanted to see sex, uh, action and fun. So do you think it any coincidence that every, after every, after nearly every soliloquy in his plays or every quiet scene, there'll be a scene that's comic or violent, uh, a sword fight, a murder. So did, did Shakespeare, do you think Shakespeare didn't change a line when one of his friends or the people he acted with, which were the same people he owned uh, the Globe Theatre with, uh, every time they suggested something like saying would it be more financially beneficial to have this scene here to keep the the pit occupied before they start flinging eggs at us again so obviously they were giving him advice as creators uh, actors as well as creative business people it doesn't mean they had to prostitute themselves to or Shakespeare had to prostitute himself to creating something um, crap, basically, but he did adapt and adopt what was just the reality of what he was creating in. So every time he picked up his quill, he knew this. Shakespeare knew that in the coming months, by the time his play or any play, any play that he did was seen by the king and the queen, that his words, um, his scenes, maybe even whole acts would just change countless times. And that's why he was such a great creator, because he surrounded himself with great creators. Like those actors must have been extremely talented people because, you know, somebody as great as Shakespeare couldn't just function in a vacuum. So he had all these talented people around him and not only were they talented at acting, Shakespeare being an actor himself, but as well as so he understood them but he learned his drama and craft or his, the craft of drama for 10 years before he even started writing these plays and he learned it with these guys or these ladies and these men and then obviously he would have listened and changed his work as often as he thought it would make his creation better because he knew it was never perfect it it, it was just the play was ready when it was ready and 
So when he had to go to court, uh, they'd went through trial and error out in the boondocks trying to trying to fix it and make it as perfect as possible, but not perfect. Um, so there's another uh, there's another famous contemporary example. Uh, the often told story of Jack Kerouac and his novel On the Road. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, and the story goes that he wrote the novel in three weeks. And I used to think this was true when I was younger. And, you know, it's used as a quintessential example of a, of the Beat Generation creator just spontaneously banging something out in no time, like into this perfect form, or so be it, or understood as perfect as such. Well, it, it wasn't, and, and he didn't do it. And, yes, he typed one version of it out in three weeks but he he'd worked hard on his craft before that he'd actually reworked he he act he actually um reworked on the road in his head in his journals for years and then put it onto the typewriter so this idea this idea of art and artifice you know the idea that he didn't prepare before he sat down to type out that long rolling um thing in three weeks he'd actually prepared um just like shakespeare out in the boondocks for a long time before presenting it at court or presenting it onto the tie onto the onto the page so and in it then in the 50s he he actually reworked it again for about seven years so the three weeks of a perfect manuscript really took him about 10 years so perfection it can be an enemy you know um it's an enemy of creation because creation is not immediate it comes in bits and pieces and uh, in the south of france they have a wonderful expression petit au petit l'oiseau fait son nid which means bit by bit the bird makes its nest and a nest takes time and effort and patience so whatever you're building whether it's a play or a painting or a car it takes time like those octogenarians in the south of france that used to say it to me all the time when i was actually building our retreat there um petit au petit l'oiseau fait son nid uh, just to encourage me to that the cre the creative process is something that happens bit by bit and you can't expect to have something perfect immediately so nothing nothing comes out perfect especially at the beginning you you have to go looking for the bits and pieces like a, like a bird and assemble them piecemeal into a nest and it's messy and it's a rough process it looks rough and weird at first but by the end the nest works practically and aesthetically and this is the joy of creating when you when you connect unrelated things in an inspired way, and it's something that, to use words where you become surprised by joy, because you experience the connection that make, makes us stop, makes us pause, and then think, wow, that's, that's a creative way of looking at it. That's a creative way of making this scene work. That's a creative way of making this painting better, or this this car sound better uh, or work better so if immediate 
perfection comes. Uh, it's, it's from years of practice, from years of gathering, from creating other creations, some of which might have been crap, some of which were half finished, some of them quarter finished, some just basically started, and you're just learning. And that's that messy, rough process to arrive at a creation that came out of nowhere, finished. So it's this idea of perfection coming just like that. Well, it comes from hard work and repetition, like I was saying in the last episode, but it comes from continually doing and going after and changing, understanding that people like even Shakespeare and Da Vinci changed their stuff and consistently changed it, perfected it more and more, knowing that perfection was something that wasn't possible to find, but they were... They could, it didn't mean they stopped consistently trying to perfect what it is they were creating. And some artists and creators actually obsess over this too much on, uh, to deleterious effect. Uh, so it can be a, a very negative wall or it can be a very positive door to creating and getting into your imagination and just accepting that it's just part of the process. Picasso was actually asked once how he could charge uh, so much money for a drawing he did uh, in about oh a couple of minutes because he'd do these drawings and they you know on a napkin and they'd just be beautiful. Somebody would ask him for something and he'd just dash it out and it was like a perfect line. It was just quite extraordinary. And he responded that it it hadn't taken him a few minutes. He said that it had taken him 80 years to draw it. So that's that kind of sums up that idea. So your focus, has, it has to be on growing and mastering your craft and mastering what you create. Because theory just gets you nowhere. You just have to do, you have to create, uh, you have to delve into your imagination and understand that it's, a really messy process and that it doesn't always come out perfect but every time you attempt you get better at what, it, what you're doing just by putting in the time so you repeat the messy process to find out the work you want to really get into you don't uh, or won't know what that is until you're in it doing it until you're lost in it that idea of flow that I talked about before and like Shakespeare or Da Vinci or Picasso, or any creator. I just give the examples of people who everybody knows, but any creator you meet, you meet will talk about this flow state and getting into and getting lost in it by doing. And don't think you're only going to have to have one go at it either. Imagine leads, imagination leads to more imagination. Creativity leads to more creativity. Um doing is what leads to more creativity you have to not see it as oh this has to be perfect first time i'm just going to throw this away now work upon what it is that you've already created and learn from your mistakes maya angelou has a great has a pretty good quote about uh this idea she says uh, like electricity creative creativity makes makes no judgment she said, I can use it productively or destructively. The important thing is to use it. You can't use up creativity. The more you use it, the more you have. Uh, 
So trying to get at creating that perfect thing is not going to get you anywhere. Uh, it's just going to stunt you, you uh, thinking that, oh, this has to be it. No, just put it down and go on to something else. So Hemingway, for example, never knew whether he was writing a novel or not. He, he'd start writing a short story, and when it got longer, it became a short novel. Like, say, The Old Man in the Sea. And so when it got longer again, it became a novel. And he kept working and kept creating. And he didn't try to create the, the perfect novel. He just wrote uh, he created and then he moved on to the next one so trying to find or trying to be or create something perfect just kills creati- creativity or kills cre- your creations if you think that if you think what you're you've created is awful so what nobody ever has to see it nobody else or nobody has to ever read it or even know about it just let it be awful and if you don't create you, you have nothing um, you can't change a program with no code you can't change an uncarved block you can't change uh, an empty page so thinking about it and not doing is not going to get you anywhere you know uh, Rodan would yes obsess over what it was he was going to put or take out of a, of a, a block of stone or sculpt um, but he, he, he consistently tried to arrive at what that was going to be by doing thousands of sketches, like I mentioned before. So you can't you can't arrive at a short story if you just have an empty page and you're trying to think up some perfect story the whole time. You've got to start somewhere and just, just move towards it. And if you fail, then so what? You just keep moving forward. So... And I'll talk about that idea of failure in a, in a later episode uh, as a door. Actually, failure can be a beautiful door to creativity. So, but if you do create something and put it on the, cha- on the page, if you do carve something, if you do write some code, then in the future you, you can change it and you can perfect it. You can make your creation better. And if you create nothing because you want immediate perfection, then ironically you have nothing to perfect. So so change leads to discovery and you find out what you're creating by doing, by making mistakes and just accepting that it's a messy process and it's going to be rough and it's not going to be finished when it starts, when you just start it. And a lot of the time you don't even realize you've progressed if you're in it and you just continue to do it. So, this actually reminds me of about five years ago, we were in a, in a truck going down to Carcassonne for groceries from our retreat in the mountains of the south of France, if I haven't, if, you, if this is your first time coming to this podcast, uh, we started a retreat in the south of France about 20 years ago, and it's still going now, we sold it, but this time, about it was about five years ago, uh, we were in the truck going down, and I asked this young Sydney memoirist, um, it was in the front seat of question. I uh, basically said to her, uh, has, your, has your essay collection edit going? And her immediate answer was, uh, shit, I'm just so full of self-doubt. Basically, she said, I'm just so full of self-doubt about this. 
whole damn thing now. And so I just said to her, are, are they all bad? Are all of them, are all of your essays bad? And she said, no, one is really strong. And two of them are pretty good, but the others are really shit. Um, so I said to her, uh, sounds like you've made great progress then. And she kind of looked at me and went, what? What do you mean? Well, last week when we were coming down, you said all of them were shit. So she she stopped looking at me and started looking out the window, staring at the at the trees going down in the valley, and said, "Shit, I'd forgotten that." So, you know, oftentimes we don't realize that we're actually perfecting what it is that we've created already. If we've got like um, a huge collection of short stories, or if we've got forty paintings, or whatever it is we're trying to work on, because we think that we haven't progressed. But if we keep doing it, we will progress. It just takes time. And it might seem like you're getting nowhere, but uh, with time, you do get somewhere. So so the wall of self-sabotage is is, this, is a beautiful friend of perfection and fear, uh, which are you're, they're natural enemies of the imagination. And these negative structures, they build inside our heads and they can shelter us and make us feel safe and comfortable and happy to do nothing. It's a beautiful, a fantastic wall to the imagination and it's a mental structure. And there's not one creator on the planet that has ever escaped um, self-doubt. Uh, they mightn't have talked about it. They mightn't have said anything because they feel like they have to uh, a lot of times protect their creative process and not admit weakness because it might uh, stymie the voodoo of their creative process as such. But it happens to everybody. Every creator there is. And self-doubt usually leads to self-sabotage, which was what was happening to that young memoirist. And she was doubting herself. Her mental structures were going. The ego mind was going, oh, you're crap. These are all crap. And then was basically beginning to sabotage doing any more work. She was actually thinking of stopping writing because she thought she was getting nowhere. So we all do it. We all have many false starts that appear because of self-sabotage it's just the way it is but you can't give up and self-doubt and these kind of limiting belief systems and tiredness or fatigue uh, that whole shadow side of the misery of of the self-isolation to mention the uh, coronavirus uh understanding now of our people understanding that you know you can actually get creative uh, when you're you're isolated well you actually have to kind of be isolated from the rest of the world so i'm presuming there's a lot of people out there getting creative you can actually see it in these really funny memes or just these creative ways that people are doing uh getting a thousand jelly babies and s sitting them up and s getting a some famous singer to sing along or to sing to this Anyway, very funny stuff going on. And that comes out of um, the isolation. And so out of the misery or the negativity of having no options but to be there and in, in a space, there comes a 
a different positive belief system and the fatigue can turn into something that energizes and uh, turns the shadow side into something of light and that comes when we understand that everyone gets stuck and that it's just natural and normal the responses are countless to how we deal with that and everyone fails at some stage but if you can't accept the failure you're you'll never come up with a new creation and um so the thing is to find solutions uh walls can be circumnavigated uh, self-sabotage self-doubt they can be navigated by just continuing by doing the work just just keep going at it even if you think it's crap and just move through it with with love for the work and you'll eventually get lost in it again and a lot of the time we don't even realize we've progressed from where we were like that sydney memoirist so just to understand and be gentle with yourself understanding that you're actually moving forward when you think you're not it's just your mind ego saying you're not if you're sitting down at the table or in front of the canvas or whatever it is that you want to create uh, if you're doing that religiously if you're doing it every day you're still doing the work so don't compare your unfinished creation to someone else's finished masterpiece like a Macbeth or uh, da Vinci's paintings or Rodin's sculptures they, you know they, they they didn't create something perfect straight off they had to work hard at it and if they'd start comparing themselves to other masterpieces their stuff to other masterworks that they'd known then and they wouldn't have gotten anywhere uh, and don't don't compare it to any of your previous finished works either because each works different because you're in a different place you're a different human being when you're creating so you can't start castigating yourself creating something that you feel is lesser than what it is uh, lesser than what you feel it should have been just because you're creating something better now or that you can't create something like the magnificent thing you created three years ago or ten years ago because months and a lot of the time years of hard work have gone into other masterpieces and creations or other stuff that you were doing you might have had a just been in a different place so you have to be gentle with yourself if Shakespeare and Da Vinci and those guys hadn't been gentle with themselves they wouldn't have gotten anything done if they tried to perfect everything although they can try to perfect it but accepting that they're not going to create something perfect because nothing is perfect so yeah it's hard not to compare but it's only because we can't sit down and watch da vinci paint and repaint and repaint his masterpiece until he's dead uh, that we don't have scope for because we're sitting trying to paint ourselves we're thinking oh it's been so easy for him well you, you weren't able to see how long it took him to do it and you can't see all the pieces of paper Shakespeare threw away as he rewrote scenes again and again so see again you have to be gentle with yourself because nothing is ever completely figured out at the beginning because everything changes it's a process and instead of pursuing perfection, go after excellence instead. Like 
the Aristotelian thinking I quoted at the beginning. Because excellence is an art won by training and habituation. These virtues are formed in a man by his doing the actions. We are what we repeatedly do. So excellence then is not an act but a habit. So try to get better at what you love creating. Be habitual. Just do it. Repeat. That will break down the wall of perfection. By doing again and again and again, the gifts of gifts will come. Um, talent, originality, genius—all those words to try and describe what the imagination or creativity is—will come naturally, organically into the next act of imagination, the next thing that you create. So. So that's what I wanted to talk about today, this idea of perfection. Um, So thanks for living, or thanks for living, thanks for listening. Um, I started with a quote from a Greek, based around a Greek philosopher, by way of an American one. But as usual, I'm going to end the episode with an Irish proverb. And this one literally means, there is no wise man without fault, which is kind of appropriate. There is no wise man without fault. Nivian she gone locked. Nivian she she gone locked. So this is a podcast that's supported by you, the listener, via my Patreon page. And uh, if you want to support the podcast and help me, um, if you want to support it, just go to patreon.com uh, forward slash John Fanning, J O H N F A N N I N G, where you can get uh, this earlier the day before and I'm going to try and get extra episodes up there soon too and if you can't afford it that's fine Uh, just listen for free but try and write or subscribe on iTunes and leave a review if you can so other people get to know about it or just let your friends know about it if you found uh, this information or what I'm talking about useful and um if you want other episodes, you just go to johnfanning.me or just check out iTunes. Uh, and on my website, I'll have transcripts or overviews of what I'm talking about so you can get some of the quotations and stuff, stuff that I mentioned. And my social stuff's there as well. So again, thanks for thanks for listening. Uh, Shlon live, August, Gunnari and Bohr live.